inexpressible, unexplainable joy. That's our topic for today. Inexpressible, unexplainable joy. That's our topic. Chuck Swindoll relates the story of Bill Bryan, who served as the chaplain, camp, uh, chaplain on the campus for a number of years of Dallas Theological Seminary. According to Swindoll, Bill is a fun-loving, joy-filled man. His personality is gregarious. His, his, out, his, uh, his outlook on life is, is uh, positive and hope-filled. His laughter is contagious. His cup always seems to be half full, never half empty. Sometimes those who don't know Bill, Swindoll says, will make the assumption that his joyful disposition has been his from birth. And as Swindoll writes, nothing could be further from the truth. The life of Bill Bryan had a very tragic beginning. He grew up in a home where his father struggled with depression, severe depression. As a child, he didn't understand what was going on. He just knew that his dad wasn't happy. There was no peace. There was always something wrong. There was always down, dark, and gloomy in his home. He remembered going week after week to the medical arts building on in, in uh, Springfield, Missouri, where they would take the elevator, ride that up to the sixth floor, and he, would, he and his mom would sit in the waiting room while his father would go through sessions with a uh, psychiatrist. As a little boy, he didn't understand. He just knew something was wrong. And on one such occasion, Bill recalls that uh, he sat in the waiting room, not with his mother, but this time with his father. And his mother was in with a psychiatrist, and this is one of his earliest memories in his life. He's four years old. And they could hear what was going on through the wall. The walls weren't very thick. And the psychiatrists were telling his mother that it was unlikely that his dad would ever recover from this situation and that they were talking about a plan of treatment and that they would, in the words of that day, they were planning to admit him into an insane asylum. And Bill remembers sitting in that waiting room watching the door opened and his mom walked out with the doctors. And his dad looked over at him and he reached down and picked up Bill and he hugged him and he says, I love you, son. And he set him down and he turned and he ran through the window, through the, through the sixth floor window and plunged to his death. Hours later, he was found wandering on the first floor by a family member. He was raised by a grandmother and aunt as his mom tried to put her life back together. That is the beginning of Bill Bryan. And the question to, the, to that question is how, or rather, the question is how could this congenial, positive, uh, joy-filled, hope-filled person emerge from such a sad Tragic, sorrowful beginning. And the answer to that question is nothing except the mercy, the great mercy of God and the work of Jesus Christ and the, and, and the power of the Holy Spirit work in his life. And so today I want us to consider this subject of joy, this inexpressible, unexplainable joy in a world that is being torn apart. Not just speeches, but a world that's being torn apart. In a world that is filled with trouble, in a world where our hearts ache with the realities of suffering, is joy even possible? Is this wish for unexplainable, 
inexpressible joy. Is that even possible or is that just Pollyanna thinking? Is this joy even real? I want us to begin this morning by just taking a a quick purview of some of the verses that the scriptures have to say about joy. Uh, I think they're on your outline sheet at the top there. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 uh, Nehemiah's return to the city of Jerusalem with the exiles from Babylon. Some of the exiles from Babylon, they rebuilt the walls around their city. When the walls were completed, they had a day of fe- feasting and celebration and dedication. And listen to what the Lord said to, the, uh, to his people. This day is holy to your Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your what? Strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You think about that, that it is the Lord's joy that gives us strength to endure the the things of of this life and this day. In Psalm chapter 51, after David confessed his sin to the Lord, the sin sin with Bathsheba to the Lord, he said in Psalm 51, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Uh, In Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah said, surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense or my song. He has become my salvation. And so to the people, the prophet Isaiah speaks and he says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy you'll draw water from the wells of salvation. You think of all the places that we go and we try to draw waters that are going to satisfy our lives. He says, with joy, you're going to draw the the satisfaction of your soul from the well of salvation. This is not just in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus, when he was here on this earth, on the night before he would be crucified, was with his disciples and said, I have told you this so that my joy might be in you. And that your joy might be made complete. So God's wish, God's desire, God's purpose and plan for his people is that you and I would experience and know and live with this inexplainable and inexpressible and unexplainable joy. And so when we come to the epistle of 1 Peter... Peter is writing to a people who we saw last Sunday were undergoing severe testing and trials, facing intense persecution, having been forced even from their own homes. They were threatened with the imprisonment and the loss of everything, including death. Peter begins this letter with a triumphant note of joy. That there is inexpressible, unexplainable joy in the midst of the darkest, most difficult trials we face. And so today, as we look into this passage, we're going to be seeing this morning from this passage the foundation of joy. We're going to look at that. We're going to consider, Lord willing, the fullness of joy, and if we have time, the flow of joy. And so let's read God's word this morning, beginning with verse 3 of chapter 1, 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. We're going to read down to verse 12, and we'll allow the Lord to begin to speak to us this morning as we look into his word. Let's, uh, let's read God's word together, beginning with verse 3. Praise, praise be to the Lord and God, uh, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept for you in heaven, who through faith are shielded by God's power 
until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you've had to suffer grief on all kinds of trials. These have come, these trials have come, so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result, your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Let's consider what the Lord has to say about having joy, living with joy in troubling times. Start with me here, looking at the verse three, verses 3 through 5. Consider with me the... Consider with me the... Um, the foundation of joy, the foundation of joy, experiencing God's mercy. Peter begins in verse 3 with the word praise. Praise, blessing. Blessing. Uh, sometimes in churches we sing the doxology. Anybody know the doxology? We got a few of you. Okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to, let's, can, can we try to sing the doxology together? <laughs> I got the musician in the front row, so he's going to help me. Let me give you the words. Praise God from whom all blessings low, uh, uh, flow. Flow, thank you. Uh, praise God. Praise God. Um, all creatures here below. Uh, praise ye heavenly host. No, praise ye above ye heavenly host. Yeah, you guys know it. Let's sing together, right? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all ye church here below. Praise Him, all ye heavenly host. Praise the Father, Son, and Holy You guys sound beautiful. Thank you. Yes. Hi, church folks. Thank you. You have a beautiful voice, Annie. <clears throat> that word praise, blessing, uh, we get our English word eulogy there. It means to say good things, to say good things, to speak highly, to speak well of the Lord. The God who has blessed us, Peter says, is now worthy of all of our blessing. Say, so why do we bless God? Why do we praise God? Because of his great mercy. Praise God. The Lord, uh, praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to or in his great mercy, mercy speaks of God's compassion towards us, his care, his kindness. Mercy is, not, is God not giving to us what we deserve. Not giving to us what we deserve. And the Bible says that it is according to or it is in his great mercy that God has acted toward us. Not in ways that we deserve, but in this incomprehensible way. Ways that are completely inconceivable. Ways that are contrary to what we deserve. His mercy, His great 
mercy. Now notice what the scripture says. The Bible says, uh, praise God because of his mercy. But it doesn't just say mercy. It says his, what word? Great mercy. Yes, we need to have great Right, that word great is an adjective, and it describes, it's a, it's a scale, it's a reference scale. It, it's to the upper extreme. That word great is used in the New Testament different ways. Sometimes it's used for severe convulsions. Other times it's used for a stern warning. Here it's used for great mercy. The Bible here is t- giving us a picture that God's mercy is off the chart. It's at the top of the list. If you've ever been to the Midway at the fair, right? They got the bell, we just smash with a hang- hammer, and you're trying to hit the bell, make the bell ring. M- Peter is saying, listen, the mercy of God is ringing the bell. His great mercy. Praise God because of his great mercy. I think of what A.W. Tozer wrote in that little book, The Knowledge of the Holy. I've shared with you before this, that if there is a book for a Christian to read read next to the Bible, I don't know if there is a book more important than the little book by A.W. Tozer, The Knowledge of the Holy. If you have not read it, you need to put it on your bucket list for this year. Start today. A.W. Tozer, writing about the goodness of God, says this, the goodness of God is that which disposes him to be kind, cordial, benevolent, and full of goodwill toward men. So many words that we need to ponder and think we can't. He is tender-hearted and of quick sympathy, and his unfailing attitude toward all moral beings is open, frank, and friendly. By his nature, he is inclined to bestow blessedness, and he takes holy pleasure in the happiness of his people. That God is not sitting in heaven with his arms crossed and says, I hope I can make Fellowship Baptist Church miserable today. Tozer writes, the whole outlook of mankind might be changed if we could all believe that we dwell under a friendly sky and that the God of heaven, though exalted in power and majesty, is eager to be friends with us. You say, well, Pastor Cameron, I thought we were talking about the mercy of God. Where? I just thought the goodness of God was so good I had to include it. That's for free. Listen to what Tozer wrote about mercy. The mercy of God. Now listen. Ponder these words. Ponder them. When through the blood of the everlasting covenant, we children of the shadows. Isn't that good? We children of the shadows. Reach at last our home in the light. We shall have a thousand strings to our harps, but the sweetest may well be the one tune to sound forth most perfectly, the mercy of God. You think, well, I don't want to go to heaven and play a harp. Well, (laughs) I tell you what, when you get to heaven, you're going to want to praise God. And whether it's a harp or not, who cares? You're going to want to praise Him. And let's just say you had a thousand stringed harp. Tozer says, in his opinion... That the one that would be most important, that the one that would be played most often will be the heart, will be the string to the mercy of God. Listen to how he describes the mercy of God. For, for what right will we have to be there? Did we not by our sins take part in that unholy rebellion which rashly sought to dethrone the glorious king of creation? And did we not in times past walk according to the course of this world? According to the evil prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, and did we not all at once live in the lust of our flesh, 
And were we not by nature the children of wrath, even as others? But we, who were at one time enemies and alienated our minds through wicked works, shall then see God face to face, and his name shall be on our foreheads. We, who earned banishment, shall enjoy communion. We, who deserve the pains of hell, shall know the bliss of heaven. And through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high, and all through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. Does that warm your heart? <laughs> you guys, doesn't warm your heart? Do we think we're saved because of our merits? Brothers and sisters, do we think that we're here today because God is lucky to have us on his team? Do we see ourselves as Patrick Mahomes on God's team? No, no. It's all the mercy of God. And Peter starts to a people who are broken down and they're being beat up by the world around them and he says, praise or blessing be to God because of his great mercy it's the mercy of God that enables us to live with joy in a trouble-filled world. According to God's mercy, Peter tells us three things that God has done. And according to God's mercy, he has given us a birth into a, a living hope. A living hope. A hope that is alive. A hope that is not dead. A hope that never dies. Living hope. You think about that. Everything that we know in this world is in the process or has, has died. Our loved ones die. Sometimes in the privacy of our minds or with a friend, we might say, man, I feel like my marriage is dying. A business venture dies. But God is the one who gives us a living hope according to his great mercy. He's the one that give, brings life into a world that is dying. Uh, one Bible teacher said it this way, we who can mind the journey when it takes us home? Who can mind the journey when it takes us home? I, I think of this past summer when we were in Boston uh, for Drew and Shelby's uh, wedding. And, and so we were staying, I don't know which side of Boston we were staying, north side. I was discombobulated all week long. Um, I just know Vicki made the reservation. And she had this beautiful hotel somewhere outside of the city of Boston. But the nice thing about Boston is they have a train everywhere. And so every morning we would uh, take the transport from the hotel to the train station. From the train station we would ride into Boston. And when we get to the last stop, the guy on the train would walk through and he'd go something like this. Next stop, Boston Gardens. Next stop, Boston Gardens. And we'd have to get off there because the train would stop. It was, no more, it was at the end of the road. But listen, our destination wasn't the Boston Gardens. Our destination was the city. And so we would hop off that train and we would run to the subway and we would take our subway train somewhere and we would pop up on the ground and lo and behold, we're in a new spot. That's the living hope, right? Death may be our last stop on this earth, but it's not our destination in Jesus Christ. You understand that? God's... Mercy has given, us, has given us a living hope that can't be stopped even by death. I think it was Billy Graham who said, one day you will hear that Billy Graham has died. Don't believe it. 
because I will be more alive than I ever have been. Living hope. God in his great mercy has given us a gripping hope. And according to God's great mercy, you have a a secure inheritance. Did you see what the scripture said there? Not only has he given us a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, but he has given us an uh, he has given us birth into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. An inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Pro- uh, Christians who are in losing everything, property being confiscated, like the young lady that we heard about in UNT campus, ostracized by their family because of their faith. Life itself being threatened with harm, even death. And Peter reminds to him, and he says that God has given to them and to us an inheritance in heaven that can never uh, be lost, can never be lost. You see, we find ourselves living in a world that is governed by the law of diminishing returns. Law of diminishing returns. Um, For instance, what what is the, the, the best day for a boat owner. What's the best day for a boat owner? <laughs> Two days, right? The day he buys it and the day he sells it. The law of diminishing returns, right? That's our life. That's our life. Uh, this week, uh, Laverne telling, yeah, this week my, my hose came off my washing machine. I walked into my kitchen and, and there was uh, water everywhere, right? Law of diminishing returns. Uh, stuff being rotten and ruined, right? Uh, Not so with our inheritance in Jesus Christ. Not so. And Peter says that you have an inheritance in heaven that can't be, uh, that's being kept for you, that can never perish, rot, or lose its luster. It's secure, it's reserved. And finally, according to God's great mercy, the Bible says that you are powerfully protected. Look at verse 5. The verse 4 ends and says, this inheritance is kept for you in heaven. It is kept in heaven for you. And notice what the first verse of verse um, Five says, who? Not which. He's not talking about the inheritance. He's talking about you. You who are in Jesus Christ. That you are being shielded. That you are being protected by God's power until the coming day of salvation. Right? You understand that? That even today you are shielded and you are protected, powerfully protected by God himself. God has put a hedge around you through Jesus Christ. You are being sovereignly guarded by him as you journey through this earth. We say, if that's so, Pastor, why am I suffering? If that's so, if I'm protected, why am I facing this trial? Well, verse 6, we're going to see in a moment here that we know that there are various trials that we face in this life. Jesus himself said that in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. God's great mercy is protecting you as you journey through this life to the inheritance that is waiting for you in heaven. And so this is the foundation of joy. Peter just lays that out and he says, listen, this is why we praise God. This is why we can have joy in the midst of the trials of life. And so consider with me the fullness of joy. Consider with me the fullness of joy. And that is knowing God's purpose. Knowing God's purpose. Look again at verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. What do we see here in verse 6? That our joy, the joy that God gives to his people, is not conditioned, not dependent upon the circumstances of our life. 
The joy that God gives is not conditioned, not dependent on the circumstances of life. Even though, even though what? Even though you've had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Look down. Even though, he says, he says in all this, you greatly rejoice, even though you've had to suffer, trials, uh, uh, suffer grief uh, in all kinds of trials. Look down in verse 8, last part of verse 8. Uh, the NIV says, you, uh, you are filled with an inexpressible, glorious joy. That word filled is the same word that's used up in verse 6 for greatly rejoice. Let me talk about that word, take a look at this passage, and then we're going to have to cut it short. All right? Y'all good? Good that we're cutting it short? Yeah, it's hurt my feelings. I just stole my joy. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the pain, Peter says, you greatly rejoice. That word there for greatly rejoice has the idea of voices raised, bodies engaged. Now, if you watched the football, last, football game last Sunday night, hopefully you skipped the halftime show. I started, I was, I was a mess on Sunday night. I, um, I started off cheering for San Francisco, which I know that's kind of, ew, how, how do you, I just, I give you guys opportunity to practice forgiveness and grace every week, okay? And I started cheering, and, and I don't know why, I was just a little, something's off, you know what I'm saying? It's part of my human depravity, it's the grace and mercy that I need from the Lord, right? Um. And, uh, and so, watching the game, and then, you know, the commentators, like, well, you know, Andy Reid's the longest, you know, coaching coach in the NFL, and he's yet to win a Super Bowl, and so it's kind of like this, there's this heart story, life story, that kind of tugging on my heart, and, and then, um, and, and I assure you that our house was divided, right? I was for the 49ers, Vicky was for the, for the Chiefs, right? So, she's the godly spiritual one in our home, okay? And, um, and so, and then when Mahomes threw that second touchdown, I thought, ah, game's over. I go, oh, just hang on, though. They've been here before. Maybe not. And so the last 10 minutes of the game, I find myself now cheering for the Chiefs, right? And so when they get that last touchdown, it's like, woo! Voices raised, body engaged. Vicky says, you're a hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, I was cheering in that moment, right? <laughs> Voices raised, body engaged. That's the idea of greatly rejoice, right? So in all of this, in all of what? In all of God's great mercy, we greatly rejoice. Voices raised, bodies engaged. Woo! Right? Yes? No? All right. Even though, even though you've had to, Suffer grief in various trials. The mercy of God doesn't take the sting out of life. We still hurt. We still suffer. We still grieve. But it's the mercy of God that enables us to go through the suffering of life. 
Various trials, Peter says. You've had to suffer various trials. That word there for various is multicolored. The, the trials of life are varied. They're, they're across the spectrum of life. Your trial is going to be different than my trial. My trial is going to be different than your trial. But it's a trial nonetheless. The, the depth and the severity of our trials are going to be different. Sometimes they're going to be long and intense. And it feels like we're never getting out of this. You ever been there? Some of you are there right now. Other times the, the trials are, are short and they're, they're momentary, they're, they're light, but there are trials nevertheless. But notice what the scripture says in verse 6. These have come, verse 7, these have come, here's the purpose. Number one, trials are used by God to prove your faith. It says these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith the proven genuineness that, that your faith might be authenticated, that your, might, your faith might be documented, your faith might be stamped grade A1, right? And how does that happen? Through the trials. And so we don't rejoice that there are trials, but we're able to rejoice in the trials because we know that God has a purpose in the midst of that. That our faith is being documented. Our faith is being authenticated. Our faith is being stamped. A1, genuine, real stuff, real deal. It was George Mueller, that man, great man of faith in the 1800s who was a pastor in England, also had an orphanage, would care for 2,000 kids, it said this about trials and faith. The Lord gives faith for the very purpose of trying it for the glory of his own name and for the good of him who has it. And by the very trial of our faith, we're not, we, are not, we not only obtain blessing to our own souls by becoming better acquainted with God, if we hold fast our confidence in Him, but our faith is also, by the exercise, strengthened. And so it comes that if we walk with God in any measure of uniqueness of heart, or uprightness of heart, the trials of faith will be greater and greater. Did you hear what he said? He said that through the trials... Our faith, we get to, we, through, through trials, rather, we begin to know the Lord better, more deeply, we become more intimately acquainted with Him, and our faith is strengthened in the trials. Peter is saying we rejoice, greatly rejoice in the mercy of God, even though we have to suffer trials because we know that God is using the trials to prove, to authenticate, to document our faith. God does something in us through trials. The trials become necessary for the growth of our faith and the likeness of Christ in us. Uh, this week, I found myself uh, speaking with a man uh, not in another city. And as he was just in passing, not even dwelling on it, uh, in passing, made reference to a trial that he's facing in his life. An ache, a heartache, a suffering. Normally, I'm dismissive. Which, saying, well, I'm never going to go to a pastor for counseling. Well, I'm sorry. I'll work on being merciful. Sometimes I'm dismissive. And, um, and maybe a, a kind of, At times, maybe a little bit arrogant. This time, as a result of a particular trial that I'm facing in my own life right now, 
There was a compassion, a sensitivity in my life towards this man. I told Vicky later on about that conversation. I said, it's weird. It's weird. I never saw that coming at all. It's as if God is using this trial in my life to change me. I think that's what the Lord is saying here in the scriptures. That God uses trials to refine us, to purify our faith. Martin Luther said, affliction is the best book in my library. Affliction is the best book in my library. Let me just end here with this and then we're going to pray. Trials, not only do they prove your faith, but through trials, trials increase your love, your love for Christ. Look at verse 8. I want to end here. Though you have not seen him, that is Jesus Christ, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you are filled or you greatly rejoice with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Listen, I want you to hear me. As a pastor, your pastor, my concern for us is that our affection for this world is too great. Our affection for this world is too great. I, I watch this in the church. I observe it in my life. How quickly we seek the things of this world for happiness, for fulfillment, for pleasure. Our joy and our faith they seem to be like those buoys in the, in the water. They're up and down with the waves, right? Our happiness and our faith oftentimes are reflected by the circumstances of our lives. And we don't have joy many times because we don't dwell on the mercy of God and we forget the purposes of God at work in our lives. Peter says, even though you have not seen him, that's you and me, we've not seen Christ yet. One day we will. Even though we don't see him, we love him. And God uses trials in our lives to increase and intensify that love for him. And for that we can give thanks and for that we can rejoice. Because why? Because we know that we're receiving the salvation of our souls the salvation of our souls.